0: I'm redoing the Sorry.
1: What was Boy, that? A- Why you just blow your nose? <laughs> that notes? Sounds, that sounds, like in, it sounds like intro material to me. Okay. This is the Black and Gold Rat Podcast.
0: Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez,
1: and Brian Murphy.
0: Welcome in, Jeff, Eric, and Brian here with you on uh, this Wednesday evening here, Wednesday, September 9th, we're recording this show. Um, plenty to talk about as we, you know, football, it, it doesn't even feel like football season's really started, but it has, I mean, we're here we are, guys, we're watching basketball playoffs, baseball playoffs are just a little bit away, NHL playoffs are happening, and the NFL's about to start, this is, we're embracing the weird, man, this is just a weird year. Isn't this your equinox? Isn't this like the... Oh, this is the know, longest. This is the longest equinox. Spe- sports equinox in history. Is what we're aiming for right here, no doubt.
2: Murph, how are you handling watching Yankee baseball and the Lakers postseason at the same time?
1: Well, one of the well, they're kind of going in divergent directions. <laughs> so, uh, it's been quite a roller coaster. If you're if you're just watching those two, teams. well, we're pretty yeah. used
0: to we're pretty used to that in in you know in June, but not you know in. September. <laughs> I mean, this is just weird. But we got lots to talk about here with uh, with football and UCF actually getting going. We're ten days away from kickoff, guys. Ten days Ooh, 10 from Georgia days. Tech. Here we go. Uh, this God, will,
1: I haven't. I haven't even got in my hotel room in Atlanta yet. Oh, yeah, you're God. a late
0: starter, man. How about that? Uh, we've got. Uh, well, we have that. We have. <clears throat> basically the unofficial preview of football is what we're going to be talking about offense defense special teams what are we expecting from some position battles um, we're going to await um, you know obviously what the coaches are going to say because well, I haven't been saying much of late um, no. and you know what more are we going to glean from them at that point but uh, just try to get you prepared as we head toward game week for uh, Atlanta we've also got some news on NFL guys in the UCF the NFL rosters are finalized Some surprises, some not so much surprises, Uh, and then also some news from soccer and basketball on the women's side. Some professional careers getting going for a couple of UCF women's soccer players and one UCF uh, women's basketball alum. But we start with, um, well, we'll call this, like I said, our unofficial preview of uh, UCF football this year um, in this bizarre, bizarre year of years. Um we are right now going through our five biggest questions heading into uh 2024 UCF. You can catch that at blackandgoldbanner.com. Thanks to you Murph and to uh and to uh, Drew for uh helping us out for helping me out on some of that and you guys have been Derek great Gordon on it. Derek, Derek, Ward- Warden. Derek Warden Whoop. making his making his text debut. This well, is he, really he's exciting.
2: He's he understands he understands the current climate right now is not favorable to
0: photographers, Look, so you gotta yeah. you gotta adapt. Look, man, COVID. You know you gotta you gotta make adjustments. Yeah, you, know, you just got you gotta make those halftime adjustments, like Randy Shannon, right? So, but check those out. We got three of them up, two more to go. Murph, I want to start on the offensive side of the ball. The big question that uh, that that um, that we asked this week is what's Dylan Gabriel going to do for his sophomore year? You know, we, we've compared uh, Drew comp- uh, 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 compared you know previous sophomore years or second years for several quarterbacks in UCF history obviously it's a mixed bag but we but we do see we did see improvement significantly from Mackenzie Milton in his sophomore year and there just is so much so much of a transition for every player at every position from your from your freshman to your sophomore year so what are you expecting to see from Gabriel this year as we enter into 2020?
1: I'm expecting to see a, a lot of the same. I, I think it's uh, it's interesting how, you know, for a guy who's a, a freshman to be thrown in there with such a low turnover rate, uh, a, a good, like, deep ball rate, he did things that usually freshmen just don't do at, at that stage, uh, certainly as as true freshmen. And so he just seemed more poised than I think anybody could have possibly expected. And so I don't know if, we're, if there's, like, one major thing that he – has to like really clean up, and people will gripe and you know and whatever because there's always things. But like he doesn't have a major, I don't think he has a major weakness right now, uh, which which is amazing to say as a sophomore. But I I think I'm just interested to see how he sort of works in without Gabe Davis and you know sort of gets other guys more targets, uh, and and then you know how do you just basically work in your new your new receivers and your new weapons. But as far as Dylan Gabriel's concerned, I'm not like looking like well he really needs to do this better this year I think maybe I'm not I'm like vamping for time as, <laughs> I, try think, as I, I try to think I I can think, think of one him. thing <laughs> like I think it's like okay they want him to run more right yeah everybody wants him to run more but like he started doing that at the end of last year and it was it was beneficial I think people you know look at the Pittsburgh game and they're always gonna bring that up about like why didn't he run more in this game I understand like yeah I get it but like Maybe that maybe he isn't, you know, he's not he's not going to be scrambling. He doesn't feel comfortable scrambling around 20 times a game. Uh, if that's not his bag, then I have no problem with that, because what he does when he's under control has been really, really good. And that's the
0: thing. Like, he doesn't have to, though, in order for that in order for that to work. I just I just think that at times, especially when we saw earlier in the year, you mentioned the pit game, the Cincinnati game, too, was a little bit of this where. You know, teams just you know teams just dared him to sit back there and throw. And if you and if even if you just present the threat of the run, which as you mentioned, um, he did in the in the final in the second half of the season, that significantly opens up. I think what Josh Heupel wants to do. You mentioned not having Gabriel Davis this year. That was one of our other questions. So who steps up in this receiving core? And that was what Derek Warden. Um, Wrote about, and as great as Gabe was, an all-timer at UCF, I really do believe that. Um, a lot of guys there are ready to just step up and deliver, and, and and deliver in his stead. And it's not just the the names that we're used to hearing. You know, like for example, I think you know we've all been looking forward to what Marlon Williams is going to do. Um, you know, Trey Nixon obviously is back, but you know some of the other guys who are a little bit further down on the roster, including. You know guys like Jalen Robinson who just transferred over from Oklahoma and Kevon Ahmad and Amari Johnson, those guys are chomping at the bit too, aren't they?
1: And not only that, but then you go deeper with Josiah's Cradle, the the freshman stretch they call him, another deep target, six foot four, and and you've already seen him. You know, like if you follow UCF football on Twitter, they release like some some uh, some clips of their of their scrimmage practices and some of their photos. And what we've seen as far as photos and videos of of Josiah's Credle is a guy who is is working, getting a lot a lot of reps uh, with you know the first team offense at times. And so I think he's going to have a sizable role this season as well. Uh, they also want to move, they also want to make uh, Jake Hescock more of a move tight end this year. Uh, get him to realize that he has the possible, you know, he has the abilities to you know not always be on the end of the line, but he can be in the slot and kind of move out down the seam. Uh, so, yeah, I think you don't – I'm interested to see if there's going to be like an alpha male in this wide receiver core, um, which which Gabe obviously was. But if that guy doesn't emerge, I don't think that's a huge downgrade because they, they just have they, – they just have so much strength in numbers with, with the possibilities here. And that
0: also brings me over to the to the running back situation too where, again, it's just uh, – you know, we've been seeing uh, – you know, reports of some really interesting stuff happening in the running back core um, as well. Obviously, Greg McRae is back. Greg with a bit of an off year last year. You know, Otis Anderson, uh, I mean, his talent just speaks for itself. But, you know, when you look at the backs, who are some of the other new names that you're actually looking forward to seeing uh, some action from when uh, things get going?
1: Well, granted, Greg McRae was, was hurt for a bit last year. I think that dogged him uh, for uh, for last season. Definitely. And and then the other the other two names that we've heard a lot of this year, you know, we're always asking for like you know who's the who are the young guys who are standing out in camp, and and the two names you hear often in the backfield are Demarius Good and Johnny Richardson. Demarius Good is now in his second year in the program. Uh, Josh Heupel has said he's a completely different player, much more committed, uh, just much more knowledgeable of the system. Uh, but like it's just taking himself more seriously this year as a, as a in a second year. Uh, and and then you have Johnny Richardson who. Looks like another one of those undersized track star running backs that UCF has had. We've had a few of them, and you know he's five foot seven, but he ran a ten point eight hundred meter dash in high school, mm. and everyone everyone is saying he just looks electric. And and as I know he's only a true freshman, so I don't know as a true freshman with with Otis and Greg here and Demarius Good standing out, and also Bentavius Thompson also still here. Uh, yeah. I don't know. If, if Johnny Richardson's gonna get a lot of run this season, um, but man, the future seems really bright for that kid.
0: Yeah, I mean it's uh, the speed. I think is the thing that everyone is is most excited about, and most intrigued with, um, out of the backfield. I was a little worried. Remember, we were worried last year about you know how much um, you know depth would UCF have at running back. Well, they seem to have alleviated that issue. I know we've touched upon the offensive line in past episodes but you know just real quickly you know with the four with four guys gone from last year um you know Heupel has expressed um his optimism at some of the guys who are moving in um do you share that optimism right now and is there and, and, and has anything changed since that point
1: no I mean I think I, I think we talked about the, yeah we did talk about the last week but I think the offensive line is, is fairly settled as far as who your top guys are uh, you know Matt Lee, uh, the redshirt freshman, is going to be your center. You have, I think, three guys who are worth starting at guard right away. But we'll find out who, which, which two of them are. It'll be, it'll be either, you know, Cole Schneider, Parker Boudreaux, and Sam Jackson. Two of those three will start at guard. You might still see Sam Jackson line up at tackle. Sam Jackson is going to move around all over the line during the game. Uh, and then on the tackle spots, you've got guys like Marcus Tatum, the, the grad transfer from Tennessee. Uh, Ed Collins, who got uh, quite a lot of run last year in his first year here. Uh, Josh McMullen, coming back off an injury. They have they have options to tackle. Certainly, they don't have the, the – I mean, Marcus Tatum is experienced, and from the SEC no less, but as far as experience in this system, you don't have a guy like, like a Jake Brown or, or a Wyatt Miller on the edge there uh, anymore. But will, will they have – I think at least they have guys they can trust to put out their – uh, and, and some depth there. And, and, again, I think the versatility that someone like uh, like Sam Jackson brings is so beneficial at times like this.
0: Yeah. That brings us to the other side of the ball on the defense. Well, me, oh, go me, ahead, Eric. Let me,
2: let, I, I just yeah. want to chime in on the offensive line because there's a couple of things there. First, two things about the offense. I think there's a big advantage with in seeing this in this year in 2020, the fact you have an experienced quarterback back with the same system with the same core, mm-hmm. I think is significant. You know, over the weekend, you saw SMU with Shane Bouchelle struggle. They got a new offensive coordinator because their current – their their offensive coordinator last year, Rhett Lashley, uh, left to be the new offensive coordinator at Miami. So – and I think there's some – and in a year like this, where they if you haven't had the, the your spring, normal spring or normal summer, or even you could argue a normal fall – I think that's a factor with teams that are starting new, have new coaches or new coordinators or new quarterbacks, I think could be in some struggles. And I think that's a big advantage Mm -hmm. to UCF, a team that's got their quarterback back. It's got its nucleus back and it's got its coaching staff. I know they lost. Obviously your quarterback coach went to old miss, but at the end of the day, with all due respect. This is Josh Heupel's offense. So I really don't care who the quarterback coach is,
0: to be honest. <laughs> well, so, uh, so what you're so, saying is that the, the most important part you know, in, a, in a season that's already been through as much turmoil as we have, the more consistency, the better. And you're absolutely right.
2: Agreed. Agreed. I mean, SMU has a new offensive coordinator, Garrett Riley, who's related to Lincoln Riley. So they're going to go through some growing pains. Now, I, I want to pick up on this on the offensive line. Murph, you brought this up because th- this is kind of for both of you here is when UCF has won conference championships, they have had great offensive line play. And you see mm-hmm. that in conference awards. I'm going to give you this kind of a factoid here. 2007, UCF won Conference USA Championship. Josh Sitton and Kyle Smith were first-team all-conference from the offensive line. 2013, the magical Fiesta Bowl year, you had Justin and Jordan McCray, first-team all-conference. 2017. You had Jordan Johnson at first team uh, as well as Aaron Evans. 2018, you had Cole Schneider, Jordan Johnson, and Jake Brown, all first teamers in 2018. 2010, I know some are asking, what about 2010? They only had Ja Reed, who was a monster that year. But that team was led by their defense, so I don't think it's a fair comparison. My point is this is for them to be successful and accomplish their goals. They got to get back to having great offensive line play, which I think we all admit was, was a little bit of a disappointment a year ago. Last year, only Jake Brown was first team all conference. The key got to get multiple guys to play at a high level in that offensive line. Do they have that ability? And who do you think that could be? Uh, Do you have a prediction on that? Who could be that second guy, maybe a third guy that could be an all conference first teamer this year?
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, 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 think I I see I love Sam Jackson so much I can I bring him up every week and it's not just because of his versatility but I think the fact is he plays really well at three different positions he can, he can play both guard spots and he's played I believe is either right or left tackle last year in games and I think he did all three like above average and I, I just see him being like maybe probably not getting the the, the, the the public the publicity he deserves because he doesn't stick at one spot he's sort of a utility guy. But he's so he's so good at each spot, and in this season, it's a real it's a real luxury to have a guy like that. But I think also you're right, Eric, in that like I said, there is no there is no security you know, like you can say like oh I trust this guy right away to fill in a tackle and be great. Like yeah, we've seen some good things that Ed, Ed, Ed Collins and, and Josh McMullen a couple of years ago. Marcus Tatum has a lot of experience at the SEC. It's great, um, but we haven't seen them like really be the man for a full season uh, over at tackle. And I think that's going to be something that's going to be much – I mean, it's going to be something we watch every week. And then obviously, uh, you know, Matt Lee. I mean, we've basically – they've basically annoyed him as the the starter at center after J.J. was uh, a starter for so many years and so, uh, so, so good at his job. Now they're going to have a redshirt freshman in there, uh, you know, calling out the signals and and making the snaps, and it's going to be – it's it's I don't it may not be it may not be a smooth ride all the way, um, but I think it's it's I think they have guys that at least they trust.
0: Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you, Murph, and, and I think the one the, I'm really interested to see obviously what um what uh, Marcus Tatum, assuming that he's and, and they are projecting Marcus Tatum to be the starting right tackle, so that's Dylan's blind side. What's that can you know what's he going to look like? One thing about Matthew Lee. Now, I you know me. I always I've always been a believer that center is the second most important position in football behind quarterback, right? And uh, and we've been spoiled with JJ uh, for all for all these years. But looking at Matt Lee, he was in a two person competition with Eric Seidelman, who's a year older than him, and Matt Lee won the job, right? So that tells oh. me, like you were saying, um, that that the coaching staff. Trusts him. He's already been here for one year and has worked under JJ for one year. So that's another thing. Um, I do have my concerns about, you know, what's it going to look like when he's, you know, when we're playing out there with live ammo, and he's going to be making the calls and making things really quick. So, you know, does did he did he and Dylan Gabriel spend the off season, um, or did he spend his off season um, getting prepared to? run the offense at as high of octane as UCF wants to and i think that in in large in, in large part i mean if he's in this position then the coaching staff must be satisfied that yes actually uh he has and we're doing and and it's it's perfectly fine so
1: it, it also helps that it's a second year in the system he did yeah. get four games of, of of action under his belt last year uh and, and so i i don't and he also he he basically you know, was was basically a, a mentor uh, or a mentee, you know, under JJ last year. Which I mean, there's there's a, that's a pretty good person to learn from. Mm. So yeah, I don't. I, I again, I, it's going to be a, a difference, uh, and and there's going to be um some growing pains because because the you just imagine there will be, uh, but it's going to be something we watch all year, and it's probably it is certainly the most uncertain part of this offense is that is the center and the two tackle spots, and again. We, they have guys they trust, and I think we know who's going to start at those spots, but that doesn't mean it's going to be like it has been in the past with guys like Eric mentioned who were all conference players.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're right. We're going to take a quick break in, in a second, but I want to talk first uh, just real quick before we do about special teams. Anything that ha- that we can glean from this right now? Obviously, I think we're looking right now at Daniel Obarski as the place kicker and Andrew Osteen as the, as the uh, punter. Is that right?
1: Right, and Obarski is is competing with uh, Riley Stevens, who's a walk-on mm-hmm. uh, for the place-kicking job, and Obarski will still handle the kickoffs. I, I would imagine Obarski wins both gigs, uh, but it was brought up, I, I forget which coach talked about, it might have been Hypo. They go, you know, you know Obarski's been great, we just got to get him to kick the ball inbounds a little more often. Remember last year, there were a slew, of kickoffs that went out of bounds Uh we got it's it's it's, i'm sure they have they have harped on him well all all spring and all all camp uh that 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 has to be fixed it was mentioned to us so i i about yeah i think you'll see O'Barski in both both uh, roles and then uh osteen is the punter
0: osteen over alan Curvin, i'm guessing is that right
1: i would imagine so yeah i have not heard anything about that okay so i'm I don't even know if that's a competition. I mean, everything everything is a competition because they're like you know Dylan Gabriel, you know he's competing for the job too. Like okay, fine, whatever. Uh, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I would imagine like Osteen is going to be your punter, and, and then you'll have Obarski kickoff and and place kicking. Um, but yeah, for what it's worth, they did they did talk up Riley Stevens as having a big leg, um, and so you know maybe that's something to watch. But I, I, you know it's it's hard to imagine um, a walk on coming in and getting that job right away.
0: And, and I, regarding the kickoff thing, like you said, I don't think that people should take this lightly. I mean, I could hear fans right now being like, well, just kick the ball straight. Don't kick it to the side. Well, in when you're in coverage, right, when you're trying to get coverages, especially against teams that have really good return men, uh, as we do have in the American, there are – you are supposed to kick the ball right, kick the ball left to the numbers, outside the numbers, in between the numbers um, – and do so with accuracy in order to get, in order to set up your coverage. And you know, that's not easy. That's not easy when you're kicking that, when you're kicking that ball that far. So I think you're, it was a, it was a rash of issues last year, but you know, yeah, we're hoping, I mean, I think everybody's hoping for the sake of special teams, that you're not giving away free yardage again, like mm-hmm. they did last year. So, um, all right. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we'll talk about the defensive side of the ball and just the, in general, intangibles that are going into the 2020 season, what we're going to be looking for uh, as, uh, as we get ready for this uh, for this odd season that technically has started, but not really. We're just kind of easing into it. Stick around. I'll be right back. We are back. The Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you here. Follow us on Twitter at, twi- at uh, UCF underscore banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold banneret. And of course, blackandgoldbanneret.com, where we are your home of UCF sports on uh, the SB Nation network. All right, I want to flip over to the defensive side of the ball here, uh, Eric and Brian, because this is the—believe it or not—this is the side of the ball I'm most excited about because of the talented the talent that's been coming back, even with guys who have um, who have opted out. I still think that this this team is very very talented, especially in the front six. We know that they run a nickel for the most part. I think everyone's expecting the secondary to be a, to be a strength this year, but with Gowan now uh, leaving for the NFL, um, and we still don't know about Bam Moore if he's going to be able to come back at all this year. To me, the the the. the the center of gravity has switched to the front six and especially on the pass rushing side. I think this might be as good a pass rushing team as UCF has had in quite some time uh, with uh Tri- with Tremont Morris Brash and Randy Charlton on the outside, Kenny Turnier, And then of course you have Eric Gilliard and, and uh, Eric Mitchell patrolling uh, in the linebacker slot. And those guys have been known to, you know, just cause havoc within the, fr- in front of the first down marker. But this defense, I, I really do believe, Murph, is 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 not to be outdone here. What have you been hearing about that side of the ball?
1: Well, they're gonna. What they really want to get back to is something that they were really great at. You know, really two years ago, their their third down efficiency and their tackles for loss. I mean, those two areas they were fantastic. A couple of years ago, still okay last year. Um but but they need to get, they really want to get back to that. Randy Shannon talked about that a couple weeks ago. Like those are the things we have to do better this year. We have to get back to that. Um I, I agree with you, Jeff. I'm I'm much more interested on the defensive side of the ball. Uh not only because of the guys that they're trying to replace, but also the again, the the numbers and the possibilities that, that could be thrown out here. Like, yeah, they they have Randy Charlton and Trayvon Morris Prash on the outside, but you could you could also see plenty of Stefan Zayas, which again, if you watch Dude, people watch closely in the spring in the in the in the fall scrimmage cutups that UCF football does for its social media accounts you see a lot of Stefan Zayas on the first team defense um and, and so you got that and then inside we've heard a lot of good things about Cam Good uh the second year player who uh, transferred over here last year uh Noah Hancock is still here uh you know Landon Woodson i, I wonder how all these guys sort of get you know get situated and you know UCF's going to roll they're going to roll seven to eight to nine defensive linemen per game, so they're going to they're going to put put in a bunch of guys. Also, a freshman to watch for, a guy that Randy Shannon has, has touted uh, this fall Josh Telescar. Um, so all those guys are going to be involved in this, and I think what you want to what they want to see them do more. And I know it sounds simple, but really what they want to see them to do more is just get in the backfield more often. They were really good that two years ago. They were still fine that last year, like average, but they really want to get back to that. Who's going
0: to be this year's Nate Evans? So, are
1: you, are you talking about the linebackers or just defense in just, general?
0: Yeah, it, it just in it, 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 maybe in. The, well, let's do both. Let's do both. Like you know, the defense in general, kind of the kind of the overall leader, and then in the linebacking core, because you know we know that in Randy's defense, in Randy Shannon's defense, there it, it's the the linebackers are so so important in terms of policing what goes on um you know in the short routes and everything so I want to know who's going to play that role
1: so I I think Randy even spoke on this a couple weeks ago he said we don't have a lot of vocal guys and I I don't think they do have like the vocal guy that's going to replace Nate's passion and urgency that he brought I think the one guy who kind of does that the most is probably Richie Grant the safety you know the, the senior safety he really was the guy you know for UCF who was breaking down their pregame defensive huddles uh before games last year mm-hmm. uh and so he, he does have that role of of being a team leader uh, at linebacker the leader is Eric Mitchell uh at, and he is he is the senior uh you know they and he I mean he is he's, he's, he's got to have to lead regardless uh, redshirt senior he's been
0: here for five years too
1: yes and, and he is not a he's not a boisterous guy he just isn't and I, and I think that's fine, as long as you lead by example. And I think Eric knows that. And we, we even asked him, I remember going back, we were talking to guys back in May and April, and I think he was asked, uh, you know, who is the leader on this defense, and can that be you? And he said, kind of unequivocally, he said, yes, of course, I'm going to be the leader in the humblest way possible. Like, he didn't want to, like, brag, like, yeah, I'm that guy. But, like, he knows, he knows that's his role now. It has to be his role, uh, certainly among the top five linebackers that they've got, and I think they've identified who their top five linebackers are, and it's Eric Mitchell and Eric Gilliard, along with a couple of sophomores and Tatum Bethune and Jeremiah Jean Baptiste, and then uh, the freshman Quade Mosier, uh, who, and I think all, and and Randy Shans talked about how he's been mixing and matching those guys, uh, you know, you know, on, on on you know either weak side, strong side and sort of seeing what combinations work best. But those are going to be really, I think, your top five linebackers for this team.
0: Secondary, we touched upon it in a previous episode, but I just want to know, are there any developments on that side in terms of who's stepping in for Taye Gowan, and what do we know about Bam Moore?
1: Uh, So, we don't know for sure. I mean, like, look, we'll find out on Monday when the death card comes out. I think that's that'll be one thing that I look forward to the most is who do they put at the second starting cornerback spot? Because we know we're going to have Zamari Maxwell at one. You know Aaron Robinson will be the nickel. Who's the second guy? Is it going to be uh, Corey Thornton, who's the 24 – got 24-7 uh, preseason All-American – preseason true freshman All-American honors? Uh, or Justin Hodges or Quadric Bullard? But the point is there's going to have to be a freshman that steps up here. That's going to be fascinating to watch because I think a lot of these guys have upside – but it's kind of like the 2021 it's like the new Madden game like the new Madden 21 game like it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's new and exciting and I want to see it but it could also have some massive glitches in it like I, it could be kind of rough um, but that's gonna be you know they're gonna have to be thrown in the fire early. as far as bam Moore goes no it doesn't seem like he's going to like play right away. he is not even practicing yet uh, although you know at least Randy Shannon has said that if, if there's one guy who has been the best leader, on the defense, it's in this camp, it has been Bam, uh, Brandon Moore. Uh, he says he's been in the quarterback's heads, uh, making sure they know what their reads are, what their keys are, what the play is, the formations. He, he's really been kind of a coach off the field. Uh, I do think there is optimism that he'll play this year. I have no idea when that will be. And so it, that cornerback spot, the out wide corners uh, with Samari Maxwell and then a freshman to be named, uh, it, it's going to be really, really interesting to watch.
0: Yeah, it's it, it's going to be a crowded house back there, and uh, um, I, I think I think that everyone does see that as sort of that if there's if there's a weak point right now in the defense, that's obviously. It. Let me guess, uh, you know, you know, we all know what the best case scenario is, like for, at least right now for everybody, right? The offense is clicking, the defense does its bend, but don't break thing, but even better than it did before, and UCF, you know, makes a run. Um, you know, not just to a conference championship, but possibly, possibly, we saw we've we've already seen a few previews. Uh, you know, justifying what you said, Eric. You know, the playoff talk is surrounding UCF now. All it all it took was half of college football taking the year off.
2: (laughs) Well, and the national experts clearly listen to this podcast for their information at UCF, rightfully so, because we're the only one that provides quality. Coverage of UCF athletics. So, thank you, national media, for tuning in.
0: Um, But I love it.
2: Look, with all that being said, and and to Murph's point here, because I—I mean, it's funny you bring that up. There have been people that have been hitting me up saying, "No, man, don't, 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 no way, we have no chance." I've gotten into arguments about it, and that's fair. And I do think there's a uh, that Murph has brought this up in the past. It starts with winning the conference championship. That's the most important thing because you can control that. You can't control if you get into the playoff or not. But last I checked, that You know, there's still big paychecks if you win the conference championships and get into a big bowl. And in this era, that kind of helps. But to me, guys, for this team to win a conference championship and be in that conversation, my question to you, and I'll start with you, Murph, who is the – whose defense – who is the – this defense, who is the top guy – for this as far as the playmakers. Because when you look back at the UCF teams, you look at 17, obviously Shaquem Griffin, you knew he was the guy that could be the, the focal point of a team that, okay, i got to look at UCF defense. we got to worry about Shaquem Griffin. You look back to 2010, people worried about Bruce Miller, who was a defensive player of the year. They also had Kamal Ishmael in the secondary. 2013, it was Terrence Plummer and Jacoby Glenn. Glenn was a defensive player of the year in the league. Those guys were the biggest playmakers. Even 18, Murph, I think you would agree, Richie Grant was a big-timer, and Nate Evans there. Last year, we didn't see that as much. I mean, Richie Grant was first-team all-conference, but I think you would agree that Richie wasn't as good by his standards last year compared to 18. Who is going to be that guy? Who is that next guy that people are like, man, we got to worry about that guy on the UCF defensive side in
1: 2020? I I think... Well, the guy that stepped up to me, the, the best player on this defense, should pr- is probably going to be the nickelback Aaron Robinson because I believe I, I think he's one of the best nickelbacks in the country. I don't think that's I don't think that's 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 being uh, you know too over the top. Uh, and so he has to be. He's going to make some. He has to make some plays and really kind of make up for the uncertainty that UCF has sort of at, at the out wide positions. So Aaron Robinson's a huge playmaker for me. Richie Grant can can he be a, the ball hawk again? Yeah, I know, he didn't have the interception numbers last year that he had in 2018, but also he just dropped a few that, like, he should have had. So I feel like those interceptions are going to come back. Uh, you know, and then I think in the in the front line, uh, I love Trayvon Morris, press and Randy Charlton. I think that duo is so good at getting after the passer. But I I, I wonder, uh, just, like, again, looking at the way they've lined up uh, for a little of what we've seen uh, of fall camp and, and, and scrimmages, it seems like that that, you know, that Trayvon Morris-Brash is actually working more with the second team and that you see a lot of Stephon Zayas uh, with the first team. So maybe that's a guy that we should watch more because like, he played a little bit last year. But there, it seems like they're really, really high on him. Um, well, on so that, that was- well,
2: the defensive line, Murph, is there a Jamarius Pittman in there or a Tristan Hill that could cause havoc in the line of scrimmage? Because, Jeff, you've mentioned this. Uh, with Pittman, maybe the most underrated player on that 2017 team, right? And that defensive line, and really kind of holding things. Do does UCF have that guy this year? I think it's something to to monitor and see how it develops. Well, I think you that's where I mean, that's where
0: Kenny Turnier and Noah Hancock have to step in. I think so, you know, right? So
1: it's it's Tournier. It's, it's okay. Turn Tournier. Uh, also, like, to be fair, I uh, we have had we have heard at least four different pronunciations of Kenny Tournier's last name. I know. I, w- I, talk- I I was talking
0: I was talking with. I was talking with a couple oh. people. And, like, and they were. It, we, we've. It's changed. I think twice in the last three I, years.
1: At the start, at the like, we were all good on Tunye and then at the start of last year, it turned into Sunye. Like they just cut. They just cut the like the T out. They put an S. And but now we're we're back to Tunye. Anyway,
0: I think uh, Kenny's I, messing I, with us.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Eric, I don't know if they need that guy per se because you're talking about a different defensive setup. So you don't need like a big nose tackle guy. Uh, you know, in a 3-4 in a setup, which is what they had in 2017.
2: No, 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 you're right. I agree. I mean more like a guy that's going to make sure that they don't get pushed around. Because I think we saw that, Murph, especially in the Cincinnati game last year, and to some extent that Pittsburgh game, where they got pushed around at times. And I thought where Pittman made a difference in 17 is he wasn't going to get pushed around by the Auburn offensive line. Nobody was going to push that guy around. Uh, or Tony Gerard. I'll give you another name there. Or, you know, like I said – Even Tristan Hill, who was kind of unique because he didn't start, but that was a guy that you could argue made a big impact in the Memphis championship win and helping turning that game around. That's kind of what I meant was not necessarily the line, just a guy that's going to make sure that they don't get pushed around because you know that the opponent's strategy when they play UCF is to try to push them around, control the clock, keep the offense off the field. I think if
1: Cam Good plays with a mean streak, which he's definitely got, I think Cam Good can be that guy. Uh, not like a huge space eater, but just a really dynamic, ferocious defensive tackle. He can be that guy, and I don't think we saw it enough consistently last year, and that's sort of why he, at times, he kind of fell out of the rotation. Uh, Kenny Tunier is certainly the leader, but I don't know if he's that guy. He's more of a get up the field guy. Uh, he, he's like he's like another he's like a he's like a a defensive line a defensive end playing tackle. But I think Cam Good could be that guy. I know a Hancock is there as well, but maybe if you want a guy who's who's going to set the tone. And say like we're here and we're not moving. Like Cam Good can be that guy. He's got the talent and the mentality to do that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, it's like I said. This this front six, I think, is where the center of gravity is right now. And I, I really, you know, I think we're all hoping that the secondary, you know, does sort itself out. I think everyone really is hoping and praying that you know Bam well, Moore can come back sooner rather than later. But you know, but well, but man. you you always make the point, Eric. It, it starts yeah. up front. Right, it yep. starts with yeah. do you well, make the other especially. team? Do you stuff the run, and do you make the other team's quarterback uncomfortable?
2: Correct, because that's what it, that's what makes the difference between the elite teams and the good teams is the line of scrimmage. Everybody's going to have skill position players. It's up front, and that's what made the seventeen teams so special. Yes, they had all this talent in the perimeter and the secondary and Mike Hughes, but guys like Pittman made a big difference up front. They and I, I'll never forget in the Peach Bowl, and you both were there. One of the keys to the game was UCF didn't let Auburn push them around. They held their own and Mm -hmm. to some extent outplayed them. And I think to a lot of extent, I think Josh Heupel took a lot from that LSU game. The LSU game, UCF got pushed around. And I think Josh has been recruiting since, put an emphasis for that not to happen. And I think it'll be interesting to see how that develops. I think the other thing that's important to talk about, it's so benign, but yet I think in a year like this is so critical, tackling. I know that sounds – we talk about tackling, but in a year like this, and we saw this on Labor Day night for the Navy and their lack of tackling. Oh, boy. um, (laughs) They completely – Navy
0: completely forgot how to tackle in that game. I've never seen anything like that.
2: Well, and and to credit to Ken Niamantolo, took full uh, responsibility, but it's a unique situation because they had no physical contact in practice because they're trying to be safe during a pandemic. So I think tackling for defenses – is going to be so critical this season because you probably haven't had a lot of rep as far as physical contact or, or you know, if you're keeping social distancing and things like that. Tackling, especially early in the season, I think is critical uh, for you uh, for this, this group. And I think, you know, and I remember a couple of years ago, remember there were times where they struggled tackling-wise. Last year I thought they improved on that. So hopefully they could stay improved because I think that's a big factor this year across the country as far as tackling is
0: concerned, especially early in the year yeah it's going to be tackling and it's going to be depth uh, depth yep. is going to be key yep. not, not just because you know you know God forbid something happens and some guys get knocked out of games for um for contact tracing or whatever, but with the like we, what we saw with Navy with the lack of preseason with a different preseason, these guys are all creatures of habit man with the, with a different kind of preseason, stamina and conditioning is going to be key and
1: can i, I mention also about depth yeah I mean, we heard i don't think this i don't i don't know if this has been done before with ucf but we heard from randy shannon a couple weeks ago that uh that they're playing richie grant at corner sometimes and i i, I mean like that, that's that's sort of what you gotta do because let's say there's something that you know because of, uh, of a guy test positive uh for covid and you do contact tracing and all of a sudden you lose like three corners well, then you're really down on your luck, and so they're trying guys out of different positions. Now, I would love to know who else is playing different positions, or who else is playing on maybe both sides of the ball, because I think you've got to plan for that this year. We've we've heard about guys playing both safety and corner, uh, both nickel and safety. I think it's hilarious that that Richie Grant, as a senior, is is, is gonna you know line, is lining up at corner. Uh, in practice, we even saw Richie running wide receiver drills. In their fall <laughs> scrimmage clip,
0: yeah, um, I saw that. I saw that clip too on the Twitter account, which I thought was yeah. hilarious.
1: And again, like that's, all, that's all we get. So those are, for those of you who like really want us to like break down uh, what's going on in camp, we don't know other than what they show us. Uh, hey,
0: so I, I, I think right? personally, I think Richie just got lost out there, and he was like, ah, "I'll well, I'll do this for now." <laughs>
1: let me let
2: me ask you. Let me ask you this, guys: Could Richie Grant be the Gabe Davis of 2020? And what I mean by that is a guy that, you know, you, Hey, you know, he's good going to the year, good high school, but then he explodes. And then by the end of the year, you're like, man, this guy, this guy's not only going to get drafted, but he's going to get drafted pretty good. Could Richie be that guy that by the end of this season, we're like, wow, this guy is definitely going to be drafted in the NFL. He's going to be the next great defensive back at the next level. Could he be that candidate or do you have somebody else in mind?
1: Or it could be, we saw it two
2: years ago. Yeah, I remember yeah. going
1: into going into last season, yeah. Going into the last season, there, there were some 2020 mock drafts that had Richie as like a late first, early second rounder. Uh, he was a he was a top 50 player on some boards. So we've seen it. And uh, and so, yeah, I think he definitely could have a huge season. And I want to mention, too, since we, we've mentioned so many names, we should mention Antoine Collier, who no matter what he does, will always go down as the guy who clinched the Peach Bowl.
0: Yep. Uh, and and but, he, <laughs>
1: but he is still he is still starting back there. Another guy they're going to really have to lean on in that secondary with the cornerbacks being so inexperienced, it's good. They at least have a lot of experience over at safety with, with Grant and Collier.
0: Um, Before we finish up, I wanted to um, go go back and just, you know, and look at the other side of special teams with the return game, because, um, you know, again, Otis Anderson is expected. I I, I would imagine is expected to return punts again. What do we know about the, about the return game? Because of, of course it's going to be so critical and, you know there were some holes in special teams last year, like we talked about, not just with the kick coverage, but you know I, we felt like UCF was not quite as explosive in the kick return game as they as they could have been at times, although you know, the pit game notwithstanding. But uh, it, it, what are we expecting from that uh, from that side of special teams as well?
1: Well, you talk about you know the, in the in the in the kick return, you're basically losing you know Adrian Killen. So how do you make up for that? Uh, and and I actually asked this to Anthony Tucker, the running backs coach, uh, a while back. Uh, he and I he said they, they didn't want to do that to Otis. And I think we've talked about this. Although he did say that Otis could play cornerback if he wanted to. Again, something to watch. <laughs> what? You know, every- I love
2: this. This is great. Are we like arena football two way players here? I love it. This is
0: like this is like the 1950s. You know, it's it's um, really wow. <laughs>
1: I mean, yeah, no. I mean, I don't think. Again, it would take something. It would take something disastrous. For I, I was going to of- say, no, let's I, I, let's hope I, I,
0: that I, I, that's I, I, not. Let's hope that that doesn't happen because if we start seeing Otis Anderson playing both ways, I'm thinking something went horribly wrong.
2: Although I got to say, we are the same program that had Brandon Marshall and Mike Sims Walker playing the defensive side of the yes. ball for a full season. Yes, starting, but that right? was
0: because something went horribly wrong. Like I was saying, <laughs> I'm sorry, Murph. Go ahead.
1: We do know that guys like uh, Amari Johnson and even Marlon Williams were catching punts uh, in spring ball. And I think I mentioned earlier on, on on an earlier podcast that I think Jalen Robinson could be a kick return guy. Johnny uh, Johnny Richardson could be a kick return guy again. Like, how do you replace Adrian Killens on kick return? I don't know. Put a guy who's a five foot seven running back with with sprinter speed back there. Like, oh, they got one of those. Who's the um,
0: fastest I, guy? I, Just put him back there.
1: <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> Um, so they have options again, they, I, I think that's the, that, that's like the, the takeaway from all of this is like, they have options. Like what, what the title is like, they have options on this team and now it's about like finding who fits best. Um, but yeah, those are some guys I, I, I think Jalen Robinson would be great, uh, on kick return. Uh, but I, I you know, I am also, I would love to see him like be like a, a third or fourth wide receiver in this offense and just tor like torment. Like, uh, you know, safeties and nickel corners. I think they would be fantastic too. Stop, man. We're getting greedy now. I, I, by the way, so, so hold on. I just want
2: to, I'm still kind of pausing here. So Otis, what did they say about him in the defensive side of the ball again?
1: So, uh, cause I asked, when I asked coach Tucker if they were going to put Otis on kick return cause he's already doing so much. Yeah. This is by the way, it's back in spring. This is back when this is now, this was like late February. So it was like 10, 15 years ago. It seems, <laughs> uh, but I, I, you know, he said that Otis, you know, if he, if he, if he wanted to, he could go play corner and do it well. Ooh, that, you know,
2: confidence.
1: that's that's what that's what Tucker said. This, uh, is my,
2: this is great. This could be like a Heisman campaign. Play him on offense, a little bit in corner, a little <laughs> special teams.
1: Is it, are, are you are you, are you saying like
0: are you saying the uh, Otis Anderson is is this generation's Gordy Lockbaum? You know, play both Goody. ways and.
2: Help us lead into the playoffs. I mean, I like the marketing potential of this. This is great. Uh, I'm excited.
0: Otis is just, Otis is my my uh, my sleeper pick for conference player of the year. I will put that out there.
1: By the way, just this is the line because I asked. I well, this is the line. I asked Anthony Tucker, the running backs coach. Uh, he says, you know, if we put Otis back there, maybe we put him back as the kick returner. He could be. He'll be as good as anyone in the country. But we don't. We can't. We can't play him in every position. But he could probably play corner also, or he could play the nickel. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> he can't yeah. play. Every, he can't play every position. But we might have to try. <laughs>
2: Can he be the breakout guy on offense? We've talked about Richie maybe like being the best. I mean, Richie you could argue is the best pound for pound best player on this roster. Could Otis be the at the end of the year be that offensive guy that we're like, wow? This guy is just taking it to a different
1: level. Could he be that candidate on offense or special teams for that matter? Oh, I think
0: I think you know, th- th- that's certainly in play. Go ahead, Murph. I'm sorry.
1: I think I think Otis is already broken out. Like he's a, such a known commodity. I, I think he is. He, he We know what he is. I'm more interested to see. Um, again, Jalen Robinson, I love him. I'm really interested to see what Jacob Harris does because Jacob Harris, last year and it showed, was really raw as a wide receiver and really had had problems at times, tracking balls downfield, over his head, uh, wasn't a great route runner. We've heard that he's, wor- he's worked really, really hard and has gotten some good results off of uh, off of the work he did in spring ball and on his own time during the summer. I, I want to see if he's progressed at all out wide. And we haven't even mentioned Trey Nixon. I mean, I know. there is so many. I'm, we're
0: sorry, Trey, fantastic. if you're listening, man. <laughs> We're really yeah, sorry. We're we're not we're not disrespecting you here, Trey. But be the leading the receiver by the end of he the year, He could
1: be. Would be. Uh, really, I think like it's it's weird to call him a breakout, but like Marlon Williams is the guy that everybody, everybody wants to see break out. Yeah. I think you got a glimpse of that uh in the bowl game when he pulled away from uh pulled away from Marshall for a long touchdown. They want to see more breakaway long plays from Marlon Williams. Something that he was kind of getting teased about by his teammates during the season. And now with with I, you know with with Gabe going I know Trey is there but I think people really expect Marlon to be the guy that takes the biggest step up from last year.
0: Yeah, I think Brady, I, Let's go. Let's go. Let's know,
1: play right now. I know.
0: I know. Let's go. Marlon what are we Marlon waiting I think is for? is most interesting because of, you know he to me he strikes me as more of like a physical guy. Like you could see him as yeah. like a running back that got moved to receiver. I think that's yeah. that's what excites yeah. me about him. Like I'd love to see him get out there on some Wide receiver screens and see and see how many guys he can run over because um, he really is a physical presence out there. It's really exciting to watch, and of course we saw the speed in the bowl game. So, all right, so, I mean, he's, listen, we, he's, I don't want. Yeah, go
1: ahead, he's, Murph. He's six foot two twenty five. I mean, he's a big dude. That's a back. That's a back out
0: there, right? I mean, if you put him, if you put him a tailback, it's like, look out, <laughs> you know.
2: Listen, I don't want to wait till September. I know it says September 19th we got to play Georgia Tech, but we they're going to be in the state of Florida this Saturday. They're going to be in Tallahassee. I say we drive up there, cash in, and just play right there and then. All right? Let's go. We'll take them both on on the same time. Let's go.
0: Yeah, of course you would say that, Mr. Florida State up here. Oh, God. All right. Oh, no. I. Oh, no. I know why. You want us to get another shot at Mike Norvell. That's what you want.
2: Has that not worked out for us in the past or what? Huh? Fair point. Fair point.
0: All right, all right. So that was our Cliff Notes preview of UCF football, at least as of right go now. Two and
2: zero oh in one week. Two and zero, hey. oh, baby.
0: Murph, what's the next thing that we're going to be looking forward to? Obviously, you mentioned the depth chart coming out, and then we're going to hear from some coaches and players next week. Is that right?
1: Yeah, actually, we're here for a couple coaches tomorrow, Thursday. Actually, we're talking to William Martinez, the secondary coach, for the first time in fall, and that's going to be interesting because we get to ask about all the defensive backs which we kind of ran through a lot of the questions there. Also, because he's, he's a secondary coach, maybe he knows if, again, more guys we haven't mentioned. But if is Devon Wilson, is he eligible? Do we know yet that he's eligible? Because we don't. We don't know that. I would like sounds that, sounds out. like and, your uh,
0: favorite uh, new God. game show. Is he eligible?
1: <laughs> is he eligible? So, so <laughs> D- Devon Wilson, who could, you know the transfer from Georgia, who could also be another big player in the secondary corner, uh, uh, Jaden Francois, uh, can, are those guys eligible to help out in the secondary this year? Uh, I know people have been asking me, and we, ha- we 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 haven't gotten any answers. Maybe when we talk to Willie tomorrow, he will find out. I would say even if he doesn't know, I wouldn't fret. I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. There there are commonly commonly times where guys won't get their waiver to play until the week of the game, so it doesn't it doesn't matter to me when they get it as long as they get it you know before the game kicks off. Uh, also, uh, we've talked a lot about the depth chart. I do want to mention that uh, it's going to be great when it comes out, and we'll, we're going to go all over it, and we're going to talk about it a lot. It usually doesn't mean a single thing after week one because UCF like does not update its depth chart at all. So things are going to change without us knowing, the, like without us looking at the depth chart, like from week to week. We just got to sort of find out as as the game go, goes, you know, unfolds. Um, but so don't don't get wrapped up the depth chart, like. Week one, that's what's going to be like. It's going to change week two, and then we just won't know about it until the game starts.
0: All right, all right. Well, we, there's that cliff notes preview that we've been looking for for this entire time. So, Murph, once oh, again, and Eric, thank you so much for what? What happened now?
2: It felt great. I mean, it just felt
0: great. To oh, I you. thought you said, "Oh, great." <laughs> I was like. <laughs> I was like, did something just happen on Twitter that we need to talk about now? No, they're not eligible. We just said found- no, no, hopefully not. All right. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we'll find out about that, uh, like you said, next week. So you are just going to have to embrace the weird, man. It's it's going to be it's going to be a I keep saying it's going to be one of those years. This is not one of those years. This is just this year. <laughs> There's no way to really say it. So. All right. Take a break. We get back for some news from outside of football namely the other football, when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you here. Uh, moving on to uh, some pro news on the women's side of UCF athletics. Uh, uh, three pro careers getting started for some uh, UCF alumni. First of all, on the women's basketball side, Siani Martin uh, has uh, signed uh, with, to play in Portugal, Uh, She will suit up for Basquete Clube de Barcelos in Portugal. So, congrats to Siani. She, of course, she's from Philly, um, and uh, and will be heading overseas. So, congrats. Solid player for a number of years, and was a really excellent, uh, I thought, vocal leader on the team last year. She was a lot of fun to watch, and you know, as as great as KK Wright is, you know, it's a team effort, and Siani, you know, didn't. You know, probably was talented enough, I thought, to to shoulder some of the scoring load, but instead took the backseat as sort of that second point guard and uh, and was an excellent defensive player too, I think. Very underrated. So congrats to Ciani. We're really proud of her. And also, congratulations to from women's soccer, Zandi Soray and Carrie Lawrence. They have signed pro contracts with the Orlando Pride, and according to UCF, they will join the team. For the duration of the NWSL fall wow. series, so now Carrie was waived by the Pride uh, just before the Challenge Cup, which was the return to play tournament that they had. She had signed in January, didn't make an appearance. Um, Zandy comes on board um, and uh, and was did play for her uh, for her under seventeen and under nineteen teams and the senior national team for Belgium. Um, but uh, but is uh, staying in the States to play professionally. And they join um, Kanye Plummer, who is with the Pride right now. So three UCF uh, alumni on the uh, Orlando Pride as the, as the NWSL heads into the fall phase of um, its season. So that should be a lot of fun to watch. And congratulations to them, too. That's big. That's really
2: big. I did not know that news with Zandy. Happy for her. She has a great story, background, has battled injuries. And, uh, boy, it's good to see her get get an opportunity with the pride. You know, you mentioned Martin there, Jeff. You know, we know about the men's basketball, and there are kind of a lot of guys have had success overseas. The women quietly have had some players have success overseas. Mm. You know, Zai Lewis, you remember her? She's been playing in Greece and has played in Finland uh z saunders remember that great transfer there point guard there for a year she played she's been playing at Sweden and poland and then sydney mcdonald who played in romania kayla thickpen has been playing in great britain so you know just it, it it's a global game people there's a yeah. lot of places to go and make a living now you don't have to just play in the states and especially uh in women's sports where i've taught you know we had uh alini reyes the ucf athletic hall of famer she's playing over in uh europe uh soccer wise where they're paying more than they do here in the states and in some leagues in, in overseas and women's basketball it's the same case where you make more money so uh awesome to for who's really brought some great shooting to the team and uh, i look forward to maybe maybe we might hear something soon about kk Wright and her future as far as playing basketball that's the one i keep yeah. waiting for to huh. see where she may end up deciding to play
0: No, you're right. And and like, and, you know, going off of that too, like you said, Eric, you know, we're, you know, it's good to see them get, you know, UCF alumni getting those chances to play overseas and make money. And it's good that they're, that they're getting the better offer, that they're taking the best offer that they can. However, I think we both agree that the women's pro leagues here in the, in the States have got to step up and, and keep talent home, I think, and uh, in soccer and in basketball. It's been an
2: ongoing issue there, and yeah. obviously the WNBA—they almost had they almost had a strike about it. Uh, it's been an ongoing thing. I'm not. I, it's hard. It's a, it's difficult to kind of give a simple yeah. answer. How it's hard. because it be right. of
0: supply and demand. But you know something? There's. I'm I'm hopeful that as MLS continues to grow, and we know how closely tied NWSL and MLS are in terms of m- many of the franchises. Of course, the pride and the, um, in uh, Orlando City are one of several um franchises where they have b- both the women's and a men's side which is common in europe right i mean you do see um you see you, you see these soccer clubs where they have a a, a, man, a men's and a women's side um and i hope that we see more financial support for the women's game um in in the states because uh, you know we would like to see these players um you know continue to stay here and especially the wnba you know if, we, if they can get more teams or maybe even like a small, you know uh, their version of the g league i think that could be Beneficial in trying to keep talent home. By the way, if you're looking, to, if you're wondering where can I watch the Orlando Pride, Eric Lopez, get this Saturday, September nineteenth. Okay, same day as the UCF Georgia Tech game, but okay. one p.m. Ooh. Pride at the North Carolina Courage and carry North Carolina. You can see three UCF alums on CBS. Wow! CBS big time, Saturday, train, baby. Saturday, September, September nineteenth. So check out some women's soccer. Orlando Pride. Cheer on your fellow Knights. Three of them on that team. And then when the game is over, flip over to ESPN for UCF and Georgia Tech. That's going to be uh, that that'll be a yeah, nice Saturday wait. for everybody.
2: That's pretty weird. I'd rather watch that than watch any Sun Belt or Conference USA football team. So I am with you on that.
0: Problems. I am with you on that. Uh the Pride. Let's see. They they're gonna have a couple of uh, they have a couple of games on CBS and CBS Sports Network. They had October ninth. They'll be on CBS I, Sports I, Network. So I,
2: I agree with you. They they got to step up, and that's the league in particular that really needs to step up because there is interest in women's soccer. They yes. drew good ratings when they were in the bubble. We talk about the NBA and the NHL. Yeah. you C. you know that they had a successful bubble themselves in Utah. They were the first league to come back, and they drew good numbers on CBS. And I think that's why. CBS has gone ahead and picked up some of these regular season games here because they did better than probably CBS thought they could do.
0: Yeah, and and not just that, but I think we've talked about this before. They executed that bubble extraordinarily yes. well, and yep. and it and it started. I hate saying it, but it's true. It started with the Orlando Pride getting kicked out of it uh, because because of, the, because of the because of the situation with a couple of players going out well, and partying thing, and exposing thing, themselves to the virus, right,
2: right? Right. Same thing with the MLS. They kicked yeah. out two teams, right? Nashville and. Um, in Dallas, FC Dallas went from the bubble mm-hmm. here in Orlando. So that was smart on both sides uh, to do that. And uh, I'm all for it. And, and I hope I'm excited. I'm glad you told me that. I did not know that. I'm excited. I'll definitely tune into to see them because I always enjoyed seeing Sandy Saray play and Plumber. They're reunited together, obviously played last year at UCF and uh you know to go alongside Lawrence that's pretty good good yeah. good move for Orlando can we get Orlando City now to bite and get some UCF guys I know, I know man
0: I know we get you know shoot Memphis 901 went and got Cam, uh, went and got Cal Jennings I mean yeah. that's a that's a missed opportunity Orlando City you can do better just than wait that. just he wait brought, Lord knows season. you needed that's to score is. some more goals in that final in the in the bubble in Orlando you know I mean Cal could have gotten you some instant offense
2: Yes. Try but, to get Cal. Don't get any of our current guys until after the spring, though. That's my right. Please. Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. Murph. Baseball news. Our boy uh, Dylan Moore, uh, American League MVP candidate Dylan Moore, is back
1: and better than ever, isn't he? Uh, Jeff, it just warms the cockles of your heart to see Dylan Moore continue to come back from his wrist injury. Not just continue to Ray- come
0: back, but mash, man.
1: Ray- what a he- year. Oh my God! The man, the man hit a home run two days ago. <clears throat> uh, that that traveled four hundred twenty-five feet at about one hundred and seven miles per hour and got twenty-two feet off the ground. That is a that is <laughs> what we like to call a laser. Uh, and and also I'd like to mention in that same game, in which Dylan Moore homered, uh, I forgot who they were facing. This is a couple days ago. Uh, he became the first. UCF alum to drive in four runs in a Major League Baseball game. Wow. Whoa. That's done it.
0: That's okay. Now that's a great trivia question right there.
2: But did he come But did he, come in, did he come in relief and pitch?
0: No, he did not pitch. Oh, <laughs> well,
2: then talk to me when he does oh. that. Well, you can't, can't,
0: um, can't win them all.
2: In all seriousness though, Murph, I mean, I know it's a shortened season, but yeah. if there was an all-star game this year, would Dylan Moore be an all-star? Uh,
1: I mean, once you count like the guys who don't want to play, guys who are hurt, uh, maybe he'd be like a alternate. Probably not. He might. I mean, oh, that breaks my heart. Borderline.
2: Who would be I mean, the really- Mariners' representative? I mean, who? Who would? Well, be let, well of- let
0: me let me put it this way. He's he's this year. He's hitting two eighty four with six homers and fourteen runs batted in in a hundred and eight. Uh, total plate appearances. Night. He's twenty-seven and ninety-five at the, at at the plate in twenty-six games. So twenty-seven hits in twenty-six games. So, uh, yeah. I I I refer back to Eric's question. Who would be the Mariners' representative over him?
1: Probably Kyle Lewis, who looks like your American League Rookie of the Year right now, possibly. Uh- mm. Oof. Kyle Kyle Seeger's had a recent like a like a a resurgence season. Dylan Moore has had a very good year, but like he's probably not the first pick off of that team. Uh, but again, like could he get in like as an alternate? Yeah, I could see that happening. Again, we're talking we, about things that don't happen. All I know
2: is Dylan Moore single handedly has got the Mariners within two and a half games of the Yankees. If you would have
1: said that before the year,
2: that'd be a lot for MVP. Okay, that's all I gotta say.
1: Uh, <laughs> it's, it, again, it's been it's been fun to watch him uh, to watch him go and then also across the sea our boy ben lively Ooh. might really have stopped following on a daily basis previous
2: Major previous, previous guest on the show by the way yes. we interviewed him from south Fra- Korea exclusively here on the banner
0: friend of the show and international guest of intrigue ben lively go ahead
1: friend of the friend of the pod there's absolutely no doubt, about, no doubt about that ben lively just turned in the best start of his season a few days ago against the NC Dinos. The Dinos are the best team in the KBO. And Ben Lively went out and threw seven shutout innings with one walk, three hits, and eight K's back on September sixth. So it's been a rough year for Ben. Like he's well, it's been well, it was a bad luck year, and then it was an injured year, and then he came back and he had some pretty rocky outings. But uh if there's one thing he can hang his hat on, it was three days ago he shut down the best team in the league uh for seven innings.
0: We'll take it, man. There you go. What a workman, man. I mean, going overseas, everything that's gone on. I mean, I would love to have Ben on the show again just to talk, you know, when the season's over, just to talk about how this whole experience has gone. I mean, we had him in the middle of the season, but, I, I mean, what a journey. It, it, and it just goes to show you, like, how, you know, we we love talking about these guys I know we just got done with a football preview every every podcast in the world at college sports does a football preview right but I just love these sports these guys who are just chasing the dream and and gals I should say too just continuing to chase the dream you know, Ben lively Dylan Moore the dream looks like it's coming true you know all the way we talked about Siani martin and and the two soccer players so Carrie Lawrence and uh sandy Zandy Story. didn't
1: even bring it up we I don't even know if we, I think we we did we bring up Chad Brown going overseas, you know, he's going to play overseas. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, we, we, did we didn't uh, bring up
0: Chad Brown. That's right.
1: Yeah. Aubrey, da- Aubrey Dawkins is going to go play in Germany? Yep. Um yeah.
0: And they're finding these opportunities, you know, I I I wonder how many of them would have stayed in the G League cuz I, cuz I, obviously Chad was in the G League um uh he had that one-year deal with the with the uh, Texas Legends. And then uh, was scheduled to be in the um, in the basketball tournament, right? Yes. Yeah, and uh, yeah. and and that didn't work out, but um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, love to see more of these guys staying home. Now, there's one last thing that we have to go over, and I think we'll be talking about this, and we'll wrap up with this: is the uh, NFL um, rosters yeah. are now set. Can Can you believe the NFL is starting? We're recording this on Wednesday, September 9th. The NFL season is less than twenty-four hours away. Heck yeah! Can you believe that, man? Unbelievable. Um, the uh, the rosters have been set because we had final NFL cutdown day. Um, some surprises and not so much surprises. Um, obviously, uh, nothing new to report in terms of guys who've made teams. Bruce Miller did make the Jaguars, so that's good. AJ Bouye <laughs> is still in Denver. Uh, obviously, Gabe Davis, Prashad Perriman, Jordan Aikens, Charlie Hewlett, uh, all back with their respective teams in the AFC and the NFC. Um, Shaquille Griffin, obviously. Whoa. What?
1: Rashad Perriman is not back with his respective team. He just joined well, the Jets.
0: Well, no, of course, he just uh, yes. Uh, thank you. Yes, he's he just joined the Jets and obviously made the franchise made made the team through the uh, uh, <laughs> through camp, which we were which obviously we were expecting. Tristan Hill is gonna is uh, back, is again back with Dallas. He's uh, going just, to start. And he's, he's going gonna start, to start, yeah. Tackle. They're going to give him a shot. We knew it would happen. You know, he's got the talent to do it. Um Matt Prater back for another year in the NFL with the Detroit Lions. Of course, there uh, there was there was a little bit Murph, wasn't there a little bit of worry around Traquan Smith in New Orleans this offseason?
1: Uh, I don't know cuz uh, what they have Emmanuel Sanders now and like they thought Emmanuel Sanders like I, no, I don't I don't think there was like I, I really think. I think it's more long term. I think it's more about the season. Yeah, like this is a
2: big, big year for Traquan. Uh, yeah, as far no, as maybe long term. I that.
1: And I, so I'm gonna write about this too for the site on tomorrow before, before the game start. Is I'll go through uh, each of the 13 UCF players mm-hmm. who are on active rosters in the NFL and sort of like break down what's expected them of them this year. And I'll also mention the three players who are on practice squads. And it's not. We're not even gonna mention DJ Killings who is on the Raiders and probably would have made their team as a defensive back but opted out yeah. uh, last But it's a big year for Trey third. It's his third year, which traditionally, I mean, well, in recent years, it doesn't really matter what, how old you are. You can come in and be great at the NFL level right away as a wide receiver. But traditionally, as a wide receiver, third year is supposed to be your breakout year. I don't know if he's going to see the reps and targets to have that, but they need to see him you know, at least show some promise. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mike, Hughes what, what? Is, Mike Hughes is back also from the injury, right? It, 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 as far as at least in Minnesota, they're expecting him to contribute this year?
1: The contribute, he's the top guy in their quarterback group because they got nobody else. <laughs> I mean, all they got was Mike Hughes and a bunch of rookies or castoffs.
0: Now that now, that takes us to the second part of the equation. One of the guys who's suspiciously absent, Navelle Clark. What yeah. have we learned from that? Because not only was he was he waived by the Vikings, he didn't even pick. He wasn't even picked up on the practice squad, and nobody else picked him up. That's a shocker.
1: It was absolutely shocking to me because I so I followed the I had followed basically the the Eagles, the Jaguars, and the Vikings closely this preseason and really during the summer because I wanted to see you know what the chances were that Adrian Killens, Nate Evans. And Navelle and Clark would make those teams. And Nate Evans, although he got cut, was picked back up by the Jaguars and put on their practice squad. Uh, Adrian Killens put on the Eagles practice squad. But now you've got Navelle Clark. And, yes, he went undrafted just like those other two guys. But he was a preferred uh, UDFA signing by the Vikings. They gave him $115,000 guaranteed up front as a signing bonus, which is a lot of guaranteed money for a UDFA player uh they were he's coming into a cornerback group that lost three guys to free agency this offseason and then you know is really kind of putting things together with rookies and cast offs and then also we had heard really positive things about Novell's work in camp he was doing really well during practices getting a lot of pub from the beat writers so it looked like there were a lot of people who were making their roster projections for the Vikings and he was probably going to be like their sixth corner. They were probably going to keep six corners, and he would be their sixth guy. And then comes cut day, which was this past Saturday, and we hear from Navell's father, Norman Clark, who is a a, a, just a fantastic UCF fan, uh, that Navell has been waived. And I think that was surprising to me because of everything everything we had heard about Navell in camp and, and the, the, the need for expansion in that cornerback group. Well, then, we figured, you know, obviously, once he's off waivers, after 24 hours, he'll either get re-signed onto their practice squad or someone else will claim him or sign him or something will happen. Well, 24 hours goes by, and nothing happens with Novell. Nate Evans re-signs with the Jaguars uh, practice squad. Shaquem Griffin is back with the Seahawks on their practice squad. But nothing happens with Novell. We hear that the Vikings don't want him back, according to people who uh, are, are reporters in that market. And then all of a sudden, that tweet that Norman Clark sent out, notifying everybody that Novell had been waived, gets deleted. He deleted that tweet, and he has not tweeted since. Uh, it's been it's been almost you know it's been five days now, and we have no idea what's happening with Novell. So, something has obviously happened because there's no reason to think that they just didn't want him or that no other team wanted him. Something has obviously happened, you know, either off the field or something else. That is keeping him from from having a job in the league right now. We don't know what it is, but it certainly is suspicious.
0: Yeah, we need Norman to reach out to us via DM and be like, "Hey, what, what what's what's going on here? What happened with Val out at out of Minnesota?" I we di- you did mention the three practice squad guys that are out there, and and in this particular year, you know that is a, a particularly good thing because the practice squads, first of all, are expanded because of COVID, and also. You get the feeling that these guys are going to get some run you know, in a game at some point this year, right? Um, Nate Evans, initially released by the Jaguars, brought back to their practice squad. That's a good thing. Adrian Killens, I was surprised that Philly actually initially waived him and then brought him back to the practice squad. So I thought he would have made the team. Um, but the big surprise was Shaquem Griffin, that the Seahawks initially waived him and then immediately brought him back what was the story behind that? Was it just a numbers game, or is there some competition ahead of him now?
1: Yeah, yeah, I didn't really look into the linebacking core of the Seahawks, but it might have been a numbers game. I mean, really, it's more of a special teams thing, right? Like, even if even if their linebacker core was was flushed out uh, with guys, like he, he could have found a spot on like as a gunner or on the on the on the kick coverage team. Uh, I, I don't know that. I don't know what the the, the Seahawks plan is there. But at least they brought him back. It's kind of as it should be. You know, you'd like to see him and Shaquille on the same team yet again. Um, so at least – and like I said, Jeff, there's a high likelihood that at some point uh, these guys will see some regular season action for one reason or another. Um, so, yeah, at least they're in the league. They are in the league. They're earning pretty decent money. Like you should go see how much money the practice squatters make. Like it's pretty good money for Decent guys money, yeah.
0: Football.
1: Yeah. So – so, they're, yeah, they're not on the active roster, but I don't think they're complaining much.
2: Well, p- but I'll say this real quick about Seattle because I did look into that. They they, they kind of added some guys in that linebacking position. For example, remember, they drafted Tech, uh, Jordan Brooks out of Texas Tech at linebacker. So they mm-hmm. do have more depth now at linebacker, and that might have been part of the reason. And, and I want to ask you both this because I think this goes into the last question I have, which is which UCF – NFL story is the most intriguing story of 2020 because for me it's Shaquille Griffin he's in a contract year now he's in his final year of his rookie deal uh, with Seattle he's going to open the season at Atlanta so he's probably going to be covering either Calvin Ridley or Julio Jones but I do wonder you know this is a big year for him to get you know that next big contract whether it be in Seattle or elsewhere and Seattle's been a franchise that isn't necessarily just going to hand out money they let jadevian clowny walk they've let richard sherman walk they've let I mean, cam chancellor got beat up some of that is because of age and things in the cap but i think this is a big year for shaquille and to see if he's a part of Seattle's future and if he can, be, can take that next step in the cornerback position. Otherwise, both Griffins could be looking for a home next season. I think that's the number one storyline that uh, I'm interested in from a UCF NFL version. What's your thoughts on that? And do, you, do you guys have a storyline that you're looking forward to
1: seeing? Uh, I, go, uh, go ahead, Jeff. Oh, okay, uh,
0: my, my big story is Bruce Miller hasn't played in the NFL since 2015 and, um, was brought back uh, in after four years at four years out of the league um, made the Jaguars roster as their fullback um, and it's and it goes back to you know it, sometimes it's not what you know it's who you know right um you know we've talked at length many times about you know what Miller's legal problems were in San Francisco those appear to have been dealt with um, and remember that the Jaguars director of player personnel is Trent balky who, Drafted Bruce back in 2011 when he was the GM of the Niners, right? And uh, and and was instrumental in converting Bruce from a pass rusher to the other side of the ball as a fullback. And I, I you know, everyone thought that Bruce was on the verge of becoming a Pro Bowl level fullback. Um, and he also reconnects with Doug Marone, who uh, we know his connections to George O'Leary, um, and of course Miller was uh, was an O'Leary favorite from back in the day. So. Um, now, one thing that's happening here is he's not going to block for Leonard Fournette <laughs> because Leonard Fournette's gone. But um, I'm really intrigued. At first, he made the team. And I'm really intrigued to see how Bruce Miller looks out there as a fullback after being out of the NFL for basically an entire Olympic cycle.
1: I am other, – other than – I'll say Mike Hughes, the, the, other, the other corner that really needs to step up because – that, defend, that 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 group is really depending on him, uh, and I think that team even without Stephon Diggs, uh, you know, can be decent this year. Uh, He's got to stay on the
2: field, Murph. He's got to stay on the
1: field. He's had injury after injury. That's been his problem. Yeah, it's it really is too bad. Also, because Tristan Hill is starting, I, I just want to see how that goes because the Cowboys. I mean, the Cowboys do this every year. They have a lot of hype surrounding them. The Super
2: Bowl uh, but, favorites out of the NFC right now, right?
1: And and, and this is a guy, in Tristan Hill, and he has refuted this, but there were reports last year that he fell asleep during a, a team speech, and it just maybe was not was not uh, you know unlocking his full potential. Which, to be fair, is something that Tristan has a track record of. Like you know the talent's there, but can you get the drive and, and determination and competitiveness out of him? And sometimes I think that was an issue for him as a rookie well, he is now going to be one of their starters on the D-line. So certainly he has at least opened some eyes in camp. And, I, I, and you know, going in that division with so much expectations on that team, I, I really really looking forward to seeing what he does. And because I, I have a fantasy draft in 10 minutes, <laughs> I'll say this, uh, I I don't think Gabe Davis is going to have a huge fantasy year. I, I think, look, with Don with Brown and, and Stephon Diggs, there's only so much that can go around. I know he's looked great in camp, but it is still camp, and I think he still needs time. He'll have some big weeks. Like, Traquan Smith, you know, every now and then will bust out. But I I, I think we should not expect Gabe Davis to come out right away and put up, like, you know, 60 catches for, like, 800 yards and six touchdowns. Like, Look at I, you, I Murph.
0: You are right going. back in fantasy mode, man.
1: Welcome back, Murph. I, I have to be. It's so good. It's like Christmas uh, I, I, in I, September. I,
2: I, Murph, wait, Wait, <laughs> let me ask you this, Murph. Does Bruce Miller out have more touchdowns this year than any Jaguar running back fill in the blank
1: starter this year? Oh boy, <laughs> well, <laughs> ah, that's a I good see, one. Have, let's see, let's see. Raquel Armstead is apparently on COVID and not going to be playing for a while. And then they have a couple. They have a guy that is a, uh, Chris Thompson, who never scores touchdowns, really. So probably not him. There's another guy, James. James, Ro- other, James uh, Robinson right now is their I'm rookie. Not, I'm not see any Jaguars running back. Uh, so maybe yeah, let's let's have fun and say yes. Yeah! Bruce Miller, Bruce Miller, vultures like three touchdowns and outscores everyone else.
0: Bruce Miller right <laughs> now is the is the uh, is is the most experienced running back on the Jaguars depth chart, and he hasn't played in oh, four years.
2: Oh my god. <laughs> oh man. So, can Nate Evans score a touchdown before a Jaguar? Running you, know, back?
0: I, you know, I you know, listen, I saw somewhere that somebody was mixing him up as a running back. And I was like, this can't be right. But man, could you imagine a, a Nate Evans and Bruce Miller backfield in That would be <laughs> the most be fun. Best thing. Option. That I'd might be, their be best option. I know. Power running game. Doug Marone. Let's do it, man. Come on.
1: Football in 2020. Bruce Miller and Nate, Nate Evans running <laughs> the two back formation.
0: Oh, oh, that would be so great. Oh, please, Lord, let it happen. It would be so awesome. <laughs> All right, that's where we got to end this show right now. I, I, I We're going out on top. It's, fan, it, it's It's perfect the way it is. Remember to follow us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter and Facebook.com slash black and gold banneret. Follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo, and Spokes underscore Murphy, of course. Don't forget to follow all the rest of our staff. Danny Medina, um, Derek Warden. Uh, Jeremy Brenner has been outstanding with the with the uh, newsletters every morning. Make sure you follow that. Make sure and subscribe. You can subscribe to us via email, of course, as always, uh, and follow us all on Twitter as well. Just hit on hit the Twitter link. We have a full list of us that you can follow. For all of us here at Black Gold Banneret, I'm Jeff Sharon Singh. Thanks for listening. This has been the Black Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll catch you next week.